Welcome to Just for Keeps, the podcast all about goalkeepers. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Just for Keeps, the podcast all about goalkeepers. I'm your host, Carter Hawkman, and joining me this week is former Bates goalkeeper and newly signed Karuna FF goalkeeper in Sweden, Robbie Montanaro. Welcome to the podcast, man. Hey, Carter. Thanks for having me on, man. It's, uh, it's good to chat with you. Always, always. I'll, listen, I'll kick us off with the first question I always ask everyone on here, which is, when did you know that you wanted to become a goalkeeper, and where did it all start for you? <laughs> um, you know, that's a good question. Um, my family, it, goalkeeping kind of runs in my family. Um, my uncle was a professional goalkeeper over in Italy. Um, my dad was a goalkeeper Division One in college here at, uh, in Marist College back, back in the day. Um, so I'd always kind of grown up hearing about them playing goalkeeper, and, you know, I wanted nothing to do with the position. Um, and then one day it was, it was a rainy day. I want to say I was like nine or 10 years old and, uh, my like town soccer team needed somebody to go in net and I was playing forward and I loved playing forward. Um, but for some reason, you know, I think, I think my dad was like, he was my coach at the time. He was like, Oh, Robbie go in net, you know? And if you don't like it, you know, you can play in forward in the second half. So I, I went in net and, um, I just remember diving around in the mud and it was so much fun. And I think I made like one save, you know, you know, those, you know, those uh, saves where it's just a through ball and you come out and you slide and you take the through ball. Yeah. Um, I made one of those and I got so super muddy and like I slid, you know, it was just fun sliding in the mud. And I was like, this is awesome. You know, I, I love this. And I, I've been in goal ever since. So. That's so funny. I think I had a similar sort of experience when I was about, when I was about that age, I think it was closer to first grade. But it was uh, it was in town soccer, and it was it was just one of those situations where you know kids rotated in that as as they were, um, and there was sort of a similar situation. Ball came my way, and I just I just dove on it, and kids <laughs> fell all over me, and I was like, "This is great." It's it's it just gives you that outlet to like as a kid just to dive around, get dirty, and you know, um, I mean, so obviously soccer's a soccer's a high contact sport, but it, you get a little bit more contact as a goalkeeper, and you can get a, you get a little bit more leeway with it uh, in net than anywhere else, and that's kind of fun, you know. At least as a, as a kid who grew up playing hockey and uh, American football and and whatnot, like you know, to, to be able to have that position where you can kind of you know dive into someone, you know, take somebody out a little bit, you know, as a kid that was fun, um, but yeah, well. Growing up right next door to me in Belmont, Mass, you and I both know that youth soccer is, is very highly promoted around the Middlesex County. Uh, but, but what was the thing that not only drove you to, to play soccer, aside from, you know, your family influence, but what kept you playing? Oh, that's a, good, that's a really good question. Um, well, I mean, you know, my, my dad coached a, a futsal team um, called Black Knights in the area. Um, and, you know, I actually, for a while, I, I took a break from outdoor soccer and I pretty much played futsal um, exclusively, you know, in, in conjunction with baseball and hockey. Um, and, you know, that team was super successful. We won a national championship and then we went to two national finals. Um, you know, we had some guys on that. We, we quite a few pro guys have played on that team. I, I don't know if you're familiar with like Miles Robinson, who's with Atlanta United. Oh, yeah. Uh, we had Danielle Rivera, who's with uh, Pittsburgh Riverhounds right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Nick Firmino, who's a New England Revolution guy. So it was a really good, good, good group of guys. Um, 
and I, I'm, I'm missing a few, you know, I'm going to get some, going to get some messages after this from guys I left out, but no, there's just, there were a lot of really quality players. And so it was just, I think being around that, that atmosphere of guys who were all like really high level players and um, competitive guys. And um, that kind of just kept me, kept me wanting more. You know, I, I remember first season we played together, we went to the regional finals and we lost and then the next year, it kind of, I'm a very competitive person. So, you know, obviously losing like that, I'm going to want to do better the next year. And I think that's one of the things that kept me going. Cause you know, after that, it was like, oh, we got to win the regionals and oh, we got to do well in nationals and, and this and that. And every year there was another goal to get to, and it just kept me going. And I, and I loved competing. Um, I loved playing and to be honest, you know, I, I hated losing. And so um, I think the combination of all those things really kept me, kept me going. Um, and then obviously at a certain age, you know, I, I transitioned back to outdoors and I played for Vallejo, um, which at the time was, you know, and still is, you know, a good club team. Um, and I loved it. You know, I've had good coach. I've been fortunate enough to have good coaching and grow up in a household that really, uh, knows the game and loves the game. And so, you know, as a kid who, yeah, I remember back, I think it was in first grade, my dad pulled me out of class to watch the you know, champions league final AC Milan and Liverpool. Um, so, you know, it's, it's been something that's been in my blood since I, for as long as I can remember. So, um, I don't think it, I, like, it was never really a question of, you know, not keeping going, you know what I mean? Even today, like at age 24, um, the idea of not having it be a part of my life is, um, you know, not something that I can even comprehend. I talked about it a, a lot in past podcasts and you sort of just touched on it a little bit. But I didn't have a goalkeeper coach until I was about 15 years old. When did you get your first real taste of goalkeeper-specific training? Yeah, so like I said, I was really, really fortunate to grow up in a house with goalkeepers. Um, so like for as long as I can remember, honestly, some of my first memories I have are, you know, my dad used to coach at Belmont Hill School. Um, and he was the goalkeeper coach there for a while. And then he moved on to Northeastern University. Um, but like when I was really, really young was just, I would go to with him to his goalkeeper training sessions at Belmont Hill back in, you know, the early 2000s, 2000, 2001, you know, and I would just kind of like look up to those kids, you know, those guys, I guess guys at, at now, I mean, most of those guys are grown with their own kids now, but you know, I would look up to those guys and, um, you know, want to be like them. And sometimes my dad would be like, Oh, Robbie, you know, you can jump over the hurdles or, you know, you can catch a ball here and there and like, you know, why don't you help, help us out and kick this ball, you know, when I got old enough to be able to. Um, so it's kind of always been a thing. And then, you know, once I shifted to playing goal myself, it was kind of like, okay, now you can come to the sessions and you can actually, you know, be a part of the sessions. Um, so it's kind of always been in my life, you know, at, at times I wasn't a goalkeeper and I was just going to, you know, be around my dad and, and be there and take it all in when I was, really really young but um yeah i've been fortunate to have goalkeeper training throughout my life pretty much it's, it's been a constant yeah that's that's incredibly lucky and fortunate it's it's so funny <laughs> in contrast to like my my mom for for as long as i can remember up until that point where i was like oh there's an outlet for training i she, you know we had no idea where to even look because i was doing so many different things with you know with baseball and and soccer and and track and, and all the other stuff and it was just like you didn't you didn't know where to look for it uh, yeah and to be fair like and I don't know if you feel the same way but like I don't think there really was too much of an emphasis on goalkeeper training you know 
early on. I, I mean, I, you know, soccer's really picked up here in the States in the past 10, 15, 20 years. And, I, you know, my dad will always tell me, like, when he first started out coaching, people would kind of look at him like, oh, you're a goalkeeper coach? Like, I, I thought we just, you know, stuck the most, you know, stuck an athletic kid in net and just let him figure it out. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I just don't think there really was that kind of uh, avenue for goalkeeper coaching um, back then. I, at least that was my take from it. And I, I, would, I would love to hear what you think about that. No, it's, it's definitely – it's definitely true. You know, we grew up, um, you know, Major League Soccer wasn't a league until 1996. And before it was kind of this hodgepodge of retired players over from over in Europe. Um, and soccer wasn't taken seriously. And it was it was all about baseball and basketball and American football. You know, the big the big sports in, in the U.S. And so there wasn't really emphasis on on those types of resources and, and being able to give your, your the parents access to to good training for a sport that was starting to grow and become wildly popular in the u.s it's still not where it, it needs to be um in my opinion but it's definitely skyrocketed with especially within the last 10 15 years um it sort of leads me into my next question which you know anyone who listens knows that i didn't end up playing club soccer until my junior year of high school which is very late by anyone's standards but but when did you, and you, you mentioned about Vallejo, but when did you start playing club soccer and how did you find the club that you ended up playing for, which was Vallejo? Because I feel like, and I just mentioned it as well, a lot of parents and kids run into the same situation my family did, which was we didn't even know where to look for a club team that either held trouts or let alone even needed a goalkeeper. Yeah, I think, and again, I think that goes back to like the goalkeeper coaching thing where I don't think it was you know, as big back in the day, I think it was a little bit, especially, you know, with the growth of the internet in the past 15 years, not to get too off topic yeah. with it, but it's really helped facilitate, you know, finding, finding clubs and finding places to play amongst other things. So, um, no, like I think to answer your question, um, I was with bolts, uh, when I was like 10 or 11, like my first couple of years playing goalkeeper. And then, um, you know, I just, I wasn't really enjoying it that much and I was really enjoying playing futsal. And so that's kind of when I, I took that break that I mentioned and I played exclusively futsal for a couple of years. Um, and then in eighth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade, uh, I want to say maybe seven, yeah, seven, end of seventh grade, beginning of eighth grade. Um, I had a friend who played on my futsal team, um, who played for Vallejo and he was like, Hey, my team's looking for a goalkeeper. And, um, I was like, oh, you know, I'd be totally interested, but, you know, club soccer is a lot of money and I don't know if we're going to be able to do that. And um, he was like, no, you know, Vallejo said that, you know, if you play goalkeeper for them, they'll, they, you know, they'll waive the fees. And so I was like, no brainer. I'll, when's the next practice? I'll be there, <laughs> you know? Um, and so I played with them for a couple of years, but I, I never really found like one club that was for me because then I bounced from there. Um, we played a game against Blazers who at the time were one of the top teams and I had a good game and uh, the coach for Blazers came up to me and said, Hey, we'd like you to join our team. We're going to be making a push. You know, we're going to be playing in Disney showcase and whatnot showcase. And, you know, all you had to tell me is we're going to be traveling to Florida and Arizona and whatnot. And as like a 14, 15 year old kid, I'm like, yep, sign me up, you know? And he was like, same deal. You know, you, you don't have to, you don't have to worry about paying. And I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm game. So I bounced around to them for a little bit. And then uh, my junior year in high school, I actually got um, a labrum repair in my shoulder. 
So I was out for the whole year. And when I came back, I actually decided to go over to Spain and play for a youth academy team for Cadiz, who at the time were in third division. Now they're in La Liga. Um, so I played for their youth academy for about eight months. And then I came back, played high school baseball and, and graduated high school. So to answer your question, like I never really found one club team that was my, you know, kind of my club team that I really felt like I identified with. But I, you know, bounced around a little bit. Um but yeah, it's I mean, it's it's kind of fascinating because it's sort of the same way, not the same path, but sort of the same way that that I landed with the club team that I had landed with, which was uh, just it's now currently GPS or it was mm-hmm. GPS. I think they folded, um, but um, it started out. It was AC Milan and then it was GPS Milan, then GPS Milan Boston, then GPS Metro it went through this whole ownership mess. But it was sort of the same way where a friend of mine from high school soccer was sort of like, hey uh we could sort of use a goalkeeper um and i know tryouts are coming up and i was like well all right so i I showed up and it just sort of worked out that way my 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 dad has a saying he's like everybody always needs goalkeepers nobody thinks about it but everybody always needs goalkeepers so if you're if you hang around long enough you're gonna find a team because everybody needs goalkeepers everybody needs one and and nobody has a team that is anybody that wants to volunteer Um, exactly speaking speaking of club uh, Robbie's and my, and my path have crossed more than once by absolute chance. Um, <laughs> we didn't actually play soccer against each other in high school for the reasons you actually just mentioned, but we did play baseball against each other in high school. And then uh, later in college, and we'll talk about this in a minute, we ended up playing for the same summer ball club up in New Hampshire for a season. Before we get to that summer team, what's your take on the importance of kids being able to play multiple sports growing up because, and and then still being able to play one sport at a very high level later in life? Because I feel like a lot of parents nowadays think if their, if their kid doesn't focus on one sport right away, they won't be able to excel at it to the, to the level that's necessary to play in college or even the pros. Yeah, I think, yeah, it's a bit of a loaded question, but um, you know, and I'm going to sound like a huge hypocrite here. Like, I think it's super important for kids to play um, multiple sports, especially like early ages, seventh, eighth, you know, like like seven year olds, eight year olds, nine year olds up to like seventh, eighth, ninth grade. I think it's really important. Um, You know, if I were doing my career over again, I think one thing I would do differently. And I I think it's, you know, hindsight is 2020. But um, I think I held on to playing multiple sports for a little bit too long past the point where I was getting benefits from them. Um, You know, I think like, especially with a sport that's super technical, like soccer, um, I just think being able to focus on that, like I was to kind of uh, make my point, like I was sort of sacrificing um, soccer for the betterment of baseball for most of my time in high school you know, I would go and train soccer twice a week and train baseball five times a week in the spring. And then I'd kind of take the fall and play soccer and then the winter try to do both. And it, it just ended up, um, you know, I would get hurt playing baseball or um, hurt playing soccer. And then it, it just was kind of a mess. Um, and I felt like going into college, um, there were a lot of aspects of my game that had been underdeveloped because I'd spent so much time focused on baseball or hockey or swimming Um, or like, you know, one of the various other sports I did just because, you know, I thought it was fun and why not, you know? Um, but yeah, I think like, 
up to high school, I think it's super important for kids to play other sports. You know, I see these like 10 year olds now that I'll, I'll coach or, you know, I'll be hanging around a session and I'll see these 10 year olds who are, you know, going from session to session soccer wise, just to give an example, you know, I, I had a kid that I coached uh, a couple summers ago and um, you know, he was, he was like nine or 10 years old and the kid was playing on three club soccer teams doing like private training with me four to five times a week. And, you know, it got to the point where I said to the kid, like, are you really enjoying this? And he's like, like kind of didn't really give me an answer. And I'm like, yeah, you know, once you get to high school at that age, a, you're going to be underdeveloped in other areas of your athleticism, which, you know, I, I, I think it'll help you down the line soccer wise, but also mentally it's exhausting, man. You know, I don't know what, what your take is on that. You know, having started club so late, like, do you wish you had maybe started it earlier or do you feel like it gave you the mental strength to be able to push through, you know, what is an incredibly grueling college career? You no, know? you bring up an important distinction and it's sort of it's a it's an it's a good way to look back on it because I, I sort of agree with you in the fact that I kind of wish I had started my club soccer experience a little bit earlier, probably right around that freshman freshman year of high school time, um, because like you said, I mean, there's a point where playing those other sports, um, those, those, those athletic traits are, are only going to translate to a certain extent before you need to really start focusing on one thing. Um, because you do get a lot of, you know, different hand-eye coordination and uh, strength and pliability and all these things from other sports um, growing up as a kid. And you can learn a lot from different training techniques. Uh, but there, you're right. There's a point where I think I, I think I, if I knew I was going to have the path that I was with, with soccer. And it's actually interesting. You mentioned baseball because I was sort of, I was there mentally. I was, I was envisioning that baseball was going to be my long-term thing and um, soccer sort of just fell into my lap the way it did. But I, I'm, I'm sort of in agreement where if I could do my, my soccer career, knowing what I know now, and you're right. Hindsight is 2020. If I could do that again, I would have started. I think I would have, Anyway, as much as I love baseball, uh, I would have cut it out a little bit sooner. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you, if you felt the same way, but like for me at least, you know, I was always doing something and playing soccer. So it was never like like I was playing baseball and I was playing soccer. You know, I would go to the batting cages and at the batting cages, I'd feel like, oh, you know, I, I'm missing soccer practice to be here. Or I'd be at soccer practice and I'd be like, oh, you know, I should be at the batting cages. And I think never – having time to fully be like assess what I need to work on and then just really work on it um, at that age, which is such a crucial age for development, you know, 15, 16, 17, um, I think kind of hindered or it stalled me for a couple of years to the point where I really had to catch up when I got to be, you know, senior in high school, freshman in college. Um, and again, like I think, you know, growing up, I think I did, I think I did it pretty well in terms of balancing you know, I played club soccer and I played futsal and then I also played other things. And so I felt like I was doing a good job balancing up until I got to high school. And then I think I tried to do a little bit too much sporting wise. So, you know, I think it's a fine balance. And I think but again, like end of the day, if you're enjoying it, then it's worth it. You know what I mean? 100%. And if you feel like you're getting benefit out of it, then it's worth it. Um, you know, but at the same time, like you have to understand what your goals are. You know, for me, I've wanted for as long as I, like my mom found a book from preschool the other day where they asked us what we wanted to be. And I wanted to be a professional soccer player, you know, so it's like I but I didn't have the kind of mental fortitude to 
say, okay, I want to be a professional soccer player. I have to sacrifice, you know, playing baseball. Yeah. For this. And you know especially, I mean? I like, I especially be- with a position that's so specific being a goalkeeper. I mean, you can sort of, I feel like get away with, if you wanted to play baseball for a little bit while longer as a, as a field player, you could, you could kind of get away with that because the training isn't as specific and as technical in my opinion. Um, but mm-hmm. I feel like with the, with being a goalkeeper, it definitely can, you know, playing those multiple sports as late as we do, or as late as we did, that can, that's when it can start to hinder on things. Yeah. I mean, I, I almost see it the other way. Like I almost think it's, it, it's easier as a goalkeeper because there's a lot more carryover with certain things. I mean, to this day, you know, I'll still uh, play a little tennis or play a little basketball and I can see a carryover um, with my goalkeeping. You know, I, I found a lot of benefit last year. I would, um, I was playing over in Scotland and I felt like, I don't know, maybe it was playing every day. Um, which it probably was to be fair, but, um, but also I played a lot of pickup basketball when I was there just to take my mind off things. Cause you know, when, when you move to another country, there's a lot of different added stressors that, um, that come into it as, as amazing as it is. Don't get yeah. me wrong. Um, and I kind of would play pickup basketball to take my mind off it. And I felt like there was a lot of carryover from that to goalkeeping. Um, but again, you know, I could have just been in my head. And I think actually, now that I'm saying that it kind of brings me on to a, another point that I would love to hear your thoughts on and that's um just like when picking other sports if if you are playing other sports if you're a young goalkeeper out there listening uh when picking other sports like do you think carter that it's worth you know maybe trying to find a sport that you feel like there's a lot of carryover with let's say goalkeeping and then playing that sport so for instance you know tennis and basketball i see a ton of carryover with goalkeeping do you think it's maybe worth playing those sports over playing you know, sports where there's maybe a little bit less carryover, like let's say, I don't know, golf or swimming. It's a, it's an interesting and kind of a loaded question because my first answer is going to be, you should play, if you're going to play other sports, you should play the other sports that you love um, and that, mm-hmm. and that bring you joy and that are fun for you because that's the other big proponent of them is that you enjoy them and they're fun. Um, and I think that's actually, it might just be where I, I'll, I'll leave it because I, there's carry that you could, you could you could argue that there's carryover between golf and, and goalkeeping in terms of the mental aspect of the game, and it's not it doesn't always have to be physical, um, and in technical in that way. But there's a lot of there's a lot of proponents of just almost any sport that you can name where goalkeeping, um, there there's traits and attributes that will that will cross over. Uh, I want to get back to to your playing career a little bit here. Um, a lot of people that I've talked to through this podcast have shockingly had relatively similar recruiting stories and recruiting processes. And I want to ask you what your college search was like and how did you end up choosing Bates? Um, so, well, I, first off, I'd be interested to hear, you know, what, what other people were saying, you know, cause I think for me, the recruiting process was such a minefield, you know, I had no idea how to navigate it in high school. And I think, I don't know, you know, my brother just went through it and he's playing now at Northeastern, um, actually made his first start the other day. Shout out, uh, Mike, uh, really proud of him. But, um, you know, I think nowadays I've noticed that kids have a lot more resources at their disposal, um, you know, with the internet and with, I think coaches are a little bit more knowledgeable now about how recruiting goes, but I just felt like the process for me was a, was a, was definitely a minefield. And, um, I was actually supposed to go, um, to a division one school here in Boston, you know, I had, a, I was looking at a couple of division one schools and, um, you know, I kind of decided upon that one. And then, 
Um, I just don't, I don't, I don't want to mention names for, because of the, the next part of this story, but basically they told me, you know, if I continue playing baseball, um, they're going to drop me and they won't, they won't, you know, recruit me anymore. And if I stop playing baseball, they would offer me, you know, they'd, they'd have a spot for me, um, come my graduation from high school, you know, come enrolling in college. And, you know, I thought I was a big shot in high school and <laughs> I think all 16, 17 year olds do, you know, and I kind of figured like, oh, I'm going to call them on this bluff. I'll still play baseball and they're still going to recruit me. And it was definitely a humbling experience when I told them that I was going to play baseball in the spring. And they said, well, you know, enjoy trying to find another college. Yeah. So um, from that point forward, you know, I was kind of uh, a little out of the loop because I'd taken my foot off the gas in terms of the recruiting process a little bit. And I was headed over to Spain to play. I knew that I was headed over to Spain over the summer. Um and so I kind of had a very narrow window. Anyway, long story short, um, I went to a camp, uh, like one of the ID camps, and um, coach from Bates, Stu Flaherty, um, saw me at the camp, and he was like, sent an email, and he was like, hey, Robbie, can we, uh, can we get you to come up to, uh, to campus and check it out? And I went up. And to be honest, when I, when I went up, I, I didn't really think, you know, I was kind of like, oh, I want to go play professionally. I don't know if division three is the right route for me. You know, um, I didn't know too much about the NESCAC conference other than that. It was really good academically. Um, but you know, that, that I just heard through friends. Um, and I went up and the campus is beautiful. And I was like, Whoa, you know, this is really, really nice. You know, I talked to coach Flaherty and he had big visions for the program. Um, and to be honest, like, you know, he, 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 he was selling the program to me and he did a great job and he really made me feel like that's the place that wanted me the most. And I think as a goalkeeper, you know, I think it's super important to go where you're wanted um, because everybody goalkeeping is a very uh, subjective position. And so if you go somewhere that really appreciates the qualities that you bring to the table, I think you're putting yourself in a much better position than trying to force yourself almost like a square peg in a round hole per se. Um, so yeah, I went, went to Bates and uh, I don't regret it. You know, you sort of touched on it. Um, you and I both know that there's a lot of misconceptions and the differences between, between playing division one, two, three, NAIA, et cetera. What would you say is the biggest misconception about playing division three soccer? I think the biggest misconception is just that like, you know, um, everyone who's playing division three is playing division three because they couldn't play division one or division two. You know, I think there's good teams and there's bad teams and that's, 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 you know, in every conference Um, just, you know, for example, like we played Tufts and we played Amherst in my conference and both of those schools, I think could beat a a majority of division one teams, you know, on their day, obviously maybe not consistently, but on their day, I think both of those teams were, um, very, very good. And the NESCAC has had uh, quite a few players go and play professionally afterwards. Um, just to throw out a name, you know, AJ Marcucci, a uh, kid I played against for two years. He was a goalkeeper at Kong College, was just drafted in the MLS draft this year. So, you know, there's a lot of really good players floating around and it's less concentrated than it is in Division One. But, you know, there's definitely a lot of good players. Um, I don't know too much about NAIA or Division Two. Um, so I can't really speak on those, uh, but with division one and division three, I think obviously, you know, 
there's going to be bad division three teams. Like that's just, that's going to be the case. And you know, the, the, there's going to be leagues that aren't, aren't as competitive and there's going to be teams where, yeah, you know, a bulk of the bulk of the percentage of those guys are guys who just, you know, wanted to keep playing soccer in college and, you know, went to a school where the team wasn't as competitive and they were able to play, you know, but there's also division three leagues that are, and division three teams that are really, really, really good soccer teams, you know, and really, really, really good programs. And they do produce pros, you know, um, the biggest, the biggest challenge I found coming from division three was, you know, you touched upon it a little bit, but playing in that in the, in the summer leagues, you know, a lot of those teams were, uh, it was very hard to get an email back from those teams. You know, even after I'd been a three-year starter at Bates and, um, you know, had, had a couple, I had some good accolades to my name, you know, just getting an email back was big, you know, from a lot of those teams. And I look at, you know, kind of in contrast to how my brother's doing right now, where, you know, he's a freshman, he started a couple games and, you know, he emails these teams and gets, you know, hey, come join our team immediately, basically within 24 hours of sending the email, you know. So I think there's a massive difference in that um, and the way, they're, the, the way that, you know, Division One and Division Three are perceived. But I think as with everything in life, I think it's nuanced. You know, there's good Division One teams and there's bad Division One teams and there's good Division Three teams and there's bad Division Three teams. Um, and you just kind of you got to go by the player and not the not the or, or you got to go by the team and not the the label. And that's a, and that's a really good analysis. Um, like I mentioned before, you and I both ended up and you we you just sort of talked about it as well. We ended up training together with with Seacoast United's PDL team a few years ago. Um, for the goalkeepers that are currently in college, what's the importance of getting that summer ball experience in versus? maybe taking that summer off to rest because I've learned that both to a point are very beneficial. So I'm a huge, huge, huge proponent of playing PDL. I, I totally, I, I totally um, respect the decision to rest. Um, I think rest is, is massively important as well. Um, but, you know, it's but well, it's I guess I guess Carter, I should say it depends. You know, if you have aspirations to play professionally, I think you need to play. You know, uh, European schedules is a full year schedule. You know, those guys are playing five, six days a week throughout the year. You know, they'll take one to two months off in the summer, and that's a lot of time on the ball. You know, the college schedule is two, three months, so then you have a little bit of a spring season, but if you really, if you really kind of break it down, you're playing maybe half about half as much football as they are um, overseas. So, you know, once you get to the pro game, you're competing in a global marketplace, you know, and if you're not getting those extra touches, those extra time on the ball, I think you're putting yourself at a disadvantage. Now, does that mean there's not a time to rest? Absolutely not. Like I think, you know, there, I think you need at least two to three weeks, maybe four weeks, each year where you just shut it down, you know, you absolutely shut it down. Um, and that could be in the winter that can be in the summer, but I think you do really need those extra, those extra game minutes, those extra training minutes, just those extra reps in general, because at least, at least, you know, I'm only speaking from personal perspective and in my career, I've made the biggest jumps over the summer because I was just, you know, putting in the work in the PDL level now USL two NPSL, you know, just playing as many minutes as I could, getting as many touches on the ball as I could, um, and just trying to improve as much as I could over the summer. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of where after I you finished your career, you know, over, over the summers and after you finished your career with Bates, you talked about your, your time in Scotland. Uh, just talk to me about that whole experience. I mean, is there a difference in, in training style for goalkeepers over in Scotland? I mean, you and I both know very well that each coach can bring their own unique flavor to a training session, but I was just curious. Yeah. So, um, actually Scotland came about kind of out of the blue. Um, you know, I had no idea that there were university leagues over in the UK that were competitive. Um, and I was fortunate enough to receive a scholarship to go play at the university of St. Andrews. Um, honestly it was the best time of my life. Um, I can't recommend, you know, that university or that program any more highly. Um, but you know, to kind of, and, and, and in addition to being there, you know, I was given the opportunity through my goalkeeper coach, actually, uh, Wayne Henderson, um, to go and train with four for athletic in the, um, SPFL league one. So the third tier of Scottish football. Um, and you know, to answer your question about training styles, um, I was fortunate, you know, with Wayne to have an incredible, incredible, incredible goalkeeper coach. So, I think that like my, my kind of perspective on this is a little tainted um, by the fact that like, I was just, I think my, the, the goalkeeper training I was able to have was um, just elite by any standards, whether it be North American or, or, uh, or um, English or Scottish or whatever. Um, but I think in general, to answer your question, I think here in the States, we have a lot of different influences. You know, we have a lot of influences from South America. We have a lot of influences from Europe, from like, you know, Western Europe. And, and we also have a lot of influences from the UK. Um, and I think each have their own kind of distinct style. And I think sometimes that can get lost in the States where we're trying to kind of combine too many different elements. And sometimes we get it right. And sometimes we don't. Um, whereas over in the UK, they have a very distinct style, which is everything is sort of game realistic. Um, there's not too many cones. Like, I don't know what, what you kind of what your experience is in terms of goalkeeper training. Um, but I, I like, have you had the goalkeeper training where you're going through cones and jumping over? I think that's about that 99% of my goalkeeper training. <laughs> so, yeah, like I think over in the UK, it, it's a little bit different where um, there were very few cones. Um, you know, things were pretty much geared towards scenarios that you'll see in game. Um, things that really carry over. Um, and I liked that, you know, I, I, it was a little bit of an adjustment for me, but I took to it really well. And I think it, uh, added a few dimensions to my game. Um, but again, I think just getting reps and, and, and getting goalkeeper training, regardless of how, what the philosophy behind it is, if there is a philosophy behind a training program, I think it's going to make you a better, better player. It's when things are kind of mishmashed together and there's no real thought behind it, that that's where I think you start to see. Um, kind of the downside. I know exactly what you're talking about. The second you mentioned the hurdles, I was like, oh, I was going to bring up the hurdles and then he beat me to it. Um, (laughs) As I mentioned in my introduction, you just signed your first professional contract to play over in Sweden. Walk me through that whole process and and what is still yet to come in terms of visas and travels and, and, and getting acclimated with your new team. So that process really, um, kind of came out of the blue um i'd been in trials and preseason uh with a few professional teams here in the states since since coming back from scotland 
um, actually, while I was over in Scotland, you know, I was trying to sign uh, with the club I was at with Forfer, but unfortunately, um, you know, the the harsh reality of professional sport, especially professional football, um, is that, you know, you're subject to international laws and, and regulations and visa restrictions and whatnot. And I was there on a student visa, and so it wasn't possible to sign. And so, you know, coming back, I was kind of like, well, that was a headache and a bit of a nightmare trying to make that happen. So, you know, I might as well try to find something here in the States that'll be a little bit more simple. Um, so I've been in preseason with a couple different clubs, um, trials with others. Um, some had gone better than others, um, but nothing that really kind of stuck. And then one day, uh, my buddy who plays in Finland, uh, his name's Jan, he, uh, he plays in the first division over there. And he messaged me and he was like, hey, I just heard of this club and they're looking for a goalkeeper. I sent them your stuff and they're really interested. a good friend. So, yeah, very, very good friend. Uh, great goalkeeper as well. Um, and so, you know, they, like I was like, well, you know, what's, what's the next steps here? And he's like, well, the coach wants to have FaceTime with you. And so I, I FaceTimed the coach and he was like, yeah, listen, you know, we, we saw your game tape. We saw your, you know, your highlights. We've looked at your CV and uh, we want to make you an offer. And so within 24 hours, I had a contract in front of me. And, um, you know, as someone who's wanted to sign a professional contract for my entire life, you know, it was an emotional moment. Um, but signed. And then I was like, you know what, I'm going to sign and then I'll worry about everything else after the fact. So I signed. And now I am in a little bit of a nightmare process of trying to get a visa to go over to Sweden when the borders are closed due to COVID. So, um, you know, to answer your question, I don't really know what the process looks like going forward other than just like I'm, you know, speaking with the embassy every day, my speaking with my team every day and uh, trying to make something happen. Um, I'd say, you know, it's, it's about 50 50 as to whether it works out, whether I'm able to get over there for the start of the season. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, a uh, it's an ongoing process and um, I'm just hoping for the best, you know, it would be, it'd be a really frustrating setback if I were, if I wasn't able to uh, get over there, because obviously you, you know, you work to sign that contract, you sign that contract and then, you know, to have it blocked yet again by a visa stipulation is a, uh, is frustrating but again you know goalkeeping i think gives you the perspective to handle these things in stride and you know you can only do what you can do you know you can control what you can control and everything else is kind of outside of your control um and so you know it's not really worthy of of energy as much as as much as it's tough to kind of take that mindset that's kind of where the way i'm approaching it um but yeah right now the process is just trying to get that visa. I, I've I've Sorry. asked this to a few other goalkeepers on the podcast. Um, but for you as a goalkeeper, and it's sort of playing into the mental side of things as well, but aside from the obvious things like speed of play, and I'll make this my last question, aside from speed of play and technical work, what's the most difficult thing about making that jump to the next level? Oof, that's a really good question. And you kind of took my... Uh one of my answers there. Um, you know, the thing I noticed last year going from the university setting, cause I would train with the university for most of the week. And then I would be up with four for once to twice a week. Um, and so I kind of was able to see both, you know, the university, the college game, and then 
the professional game. And I really do think the biggest difference is just speed of play. It's speed of play. And then if, if I had to give another answer, I would say consistency. Um, you know, it's, it's being able to be, you know, everyone thinks like, oh, you know, to be a pro, I need to be, if we're judging it on a scale of one to 10, I need to be at a 10, you know, when, when the scouts are looking. And in reality, you know, you just need to be able to give the scouts something so that they know what you're, what you are. You know, if, if I, if I'm going to be a, a, between a seven and an eight every single day, and you know that nothing is going to drop me below a seven and maybe on the odd day, I might go to an, a nine or a 10, then that's what being a professional is, you know, whereas I see a lot of amateur players who are fantastic players, you know, and they can put up 10 performances, but their bottom, their floor is like a three, you know what I mean? So it's being able to show up every day, deal with that, you know, the pace of play is honest, honestly probably the biggest thing. But other than that, it's just consistency and showing up every day and being a professional, basically. Um, you know, doing the, doing the little things. Um, like if I'm going to clip, you know, 10 balls out to my fullback um, off goal kicks or off whatever, if we're building out of the back, you know, it doesn't matter if I hit one of those perfectly. You know what I mean? But if I hit 10 of them pretty good, like in and around a yard or two from him, that's better than hitting, you know, three perfect and, you know, seven yeah. shanks. You know what I mean? Um, so it's not about being able to do one thing um, kind of perfectly every once in a while. It's just about being really good consistently. So consistency and pace of play are the kind of the two biggest things that I, I would say. Um, and then just like attitude, like being a pro, you know, um, you know, you got to get your sleep. You got to do your good. You got to get, you know, uh, eat healthy, eat clean. Uh, you got to do your gym work and you got to show up early and, and warm up and cool down and, and just do the basics. Um, that's not always fun. It's not always, I don't know, um, glamorous, but. It's just the stuff you got. Robbie, I, I really appreciate you taking the time today, and I certainly hope everything works out with your visa and heading to Sweden. So, thanks, Carter. It was hey, it was great chatting with you. Great catching up, and I'll uh, hope to see you on the. Yeah, we'll see if my body summer. agrees with me. But guys, <laughs> this has been another episode. <laughs> well, hopefully, actually, you know, I, I should take that back. Hopefully, I'll be in. Hopefully, I'll be in Sweden. But if I'm not, um, hopefully, to see you around the pitches at some point, um, some point in the near future when. Hopefully we're, we're all talking. vaccinated. Guys, this has been another episode of Just <laughs> for Keeps, the podcast all about goalkeepers. I've been your host, Carter Hockman. We will see you next time. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Just for Keeps.